Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Join Pastor Mike as he teaches through the Gospel of Luke. Well, take your Bibles. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're looking at verses 17 through 26 today as we ask the question, who can forgive sins? Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17, we find these words. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies, who could forgive sins, but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them (laughs) and picked up what he had been laying on, and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So as we look at this passage here today, we find uh, that Luke uh, does not shed any light about where Jesus is. He doesn't say about what village or town he's in. Nor does he say anything about the particular day of the week in which these things are going on, but the gospel of Mark does because he also speaks about these things and he goes into some of the details that Luke does not. What we find as we look at Mark's account is that Jesus is in Capernaum, which you may recall from some of the things we talked about earlier is a city that he kind of selected to become his own city in the sense that he was establishing his ministry headquarters there. Capernaum is also the place where uh, earlier he had been in the synagogue ministering and teaching and was confronted by a man possessed with a demon spirit. And you'll recall that uh, Jesus cast that demon spirit out of the man. He did it right there in the synagogue during the morning service. That's quite an, uh, an interesting thing. And then after that, he went to Peter's house for lunch, and while he was there, he, he found out that Peter's mother-in-law was, was ill with a very high fever, and so he healed her, and she got up and began to, to minister to them, and, and this stuff begins to spread around, and by that evening, folks are gathering all around his, where he was staying, and he spent most, if not all, of the night um, healing people of all manner of disease. And... When you think about it, that right there explains why on his return to Capernaum, the people were crowded into the house where Jesus was teaching. In fact, so crowded was this house 
that you couldn't even approach the door to the house. Literally, the crowd was flowing out the door, and, and, and they were gathered around that opening, and you couldn't even get to the opening. You see, here's the deal. Uh, the people of Capernaum had a taste of Jesus's ministry, and they were hungry, and they were eager for more. But we know that not everyone who was in attendance that day was there specifically to receive Jesus's ministry. Luke tells us that a delegation of uh, religious leaders were there, and truly they were there because they were more interested in finding some fault with Jesus than they were in giving heed to his words. You see, Jesus was quickly gaining popularity with the masses, and the religious establishment was becoming concerned that this upstart rabbi might eclipse them if they didn't find a way to cool things down a little bit. Because it was getting quite hot. So this delegation of Pharisees and lawyers, and when you hear that term, lawyer, don't think of Hupy and Abraham. Tell them you mean business. That's what William Shatner says, right? Don't think of Hupy and Abraham. They're not that kind of lawyer, but, but they were experts in the law of Moses. And they were sent from neighboring towns. They had come from Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem. And they weren't there secretly at all. They, they, I mean, their clothes, just exactly what they were wearing, uh, told who they were and what they were. And because they were officials in Judaism, they were given the premier seats in the house. So they're right up close to where Jesus is and what is going on. Now, while all that's taking place, we saw that four unidentified men determined that they would go and bring another man. Was he a relative? Was he a friend? We don't know. We can assume those things. But there's this other man, and they decide they're going to get him to Jesus because this man was suffering from a paralyzing condition. And their intent is to see if Jesus might heal him of this condition. As they approached the house carrying the bed with the man on it, they discovered what we've already established, that the house was jam-packed. People are flowing out the door. And despite this man's plight, which others around could have seen, it would appear as though the crowd was not too terribly interested in helping them get this poor fellow to Jesus because they were more interested maybe in getting themselves to Jesus than they were helping someone else. Now, I'm afraid that... um, For many of us, if we were so inclined to help out someone in need and we were trying to get them to Jesus, uh, we would get as far as this and then we might pack it in. We, We might conclude that the crowd is just too big, uh, Jesus is just too busy, and there's just no way, I mean, there's just no way, look, there's no way to get him even remotely close to the door, much less to Jesus. So, you know what? I think this is not a good day. Let's just pack it up and go home and, and, and maybe there'll be another opportunity. I think it's the way many of us would be. I probably would be that way myself. But we find that these men were not deterred. If they couldn't get Jesus through the doorway, then they would go to the roof and they would lower Jesus, da- I mean, lower the man down in front of Jesus. Now, as we think about this journey to the roof, I need to kind of help you understand a little bit about what roofs in that day might have looked like. So I've got some pictures. First of all, uh, these roofs on these houses consisted of, of timbers that were laid parallel to one another, about two to three feet apart. 
And then they would take sticks and kind of bind them together in some kind of a tile-like looking uh, configuration. And they would lay those crosswise on the timbers. And then the structure would be padded with, with reeds and thistles and, and, and twigs. And then, and then the whole thing that is there would be overlaid with about a foot of dirt. And then they would pack that dirt down to try to, to, to minimize um, uh, leakage. And when it was all said and done and complete, and here's a picture of the inside of what it would look like. You know, Jesus inside and everybody else inside, and they're looking up. That's what they would have kind of been looking at. It would be about two feet thick, uh, the roof that was there. It was common for those houses to have stairways that went up the side of the house because the roof was not used just for protection from the elements. It was also kind of like a party pad, so to speak. And so in the cool of the day, that was a place to go and hang out and, and have a glass of wine and just enjoy yourself and, and relax. So they can't get even to the door, so up on the roof they go. And they began digging through the soil. They began removing some of these reeds and thistles and twigs and then, and then maybe scooting some of the timbers out of the way. And, and if you can imagine what it would have been like inside that house while this stuff's going on. I mean, it would be quite distracting, wouldn't it? I mean, you know those guys are up there talking to each other. They're grunting and groaning and sweating. And you know as they're digging through all that stuff, the, the, the dust is falling down. And everybody's hair color is changing because of the dirt, you know. But finally, with an opening made, they fastened ropes to the cot and they literally lowered the man down in front of Jesus. Now, this brings me to truth point number one. I want you to take note of this. That when one is convinced of another's desperate need that Jesus, and that Jesus is the only answer to that need, They will employ whatever means available to bring them to Jesus. Let me read that again. When one is convinced of another's desperate need and that Jesus is the only answer to that need, they will employ whatever means available to bring them to Jesus. But that brings me to something new, what I'm calling question point today. And the question that I ask based on the truth point is this, how convinced are we? that our unbelieving family and friends have a desperate spiritual need. How convinced are we of that? How convinced? And what, if any, means are we employing to bring them in contact with Jesus? I'd be happy just to see us start with the card and invite someone to come. I would like to see you go beyond that at some point, but if we could just get there, that would be an awesome victory. And what I'm about to say to you is something that, as I say it, you need to understand is an indictment toward me. (laughs) So, uh, despite the fact that as I sat typing all this up and this this, this statement came to my mind and I'm like, I don't want to say that because that is going to indict me, it's like, well, it doesn't matter if it indicts you or not, it's still true, so share it. So here I go. This is the way I believe it really, really is. Too many professing believers prove they are unconvinced of others' desperate spiritual need by the fact that they do little to nothing to connect them with Jesus. Hey, I want to say this, that if we're doing nothing to try to attempt to connect some of the folks we know who we know are not saved yet, if we're doing nothing to try to connect them with Jesus, then it must mean that we are unconvinced. We really don't believe they are desperate in need. Because if we did, we would at least do 
something. And I pray that God will convict our hearts. I pray that God will give us the gift of repentance so that we will engage in the mission of intentionally inviting and leading others to the Lord Jesus. Well, this man that we're talking about from the passage is now at Jesus' feet, and his need is apparent to everyone. He is a paralytic. He needs to be healed so that he can regain possibly the use of his arms, most definitely the use of his legs. And with that said, we need to look at what Jesus does. First, we find him acknowledging the faith of the men who moved heaven and earth to bring their compadre, that's the only word that came to my mind, uh, to Jesus. But second, I want you to see that without any regard to the man's physical state, Jesus addresses the man's spiritual state, and he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, when he said that, I have to wonder what was going through the mind of the man laying on the cot. I also have to wonder what was going through the minds of the men who had moved heaven and earth to get their friend before Jesus, because let's be honest, in this context, it wasn't sin they were concerned about. It was his paralysis that drove them. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.